Hello. Hey there. How are you? Great. It's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I had a long week. I, I believe it. You started a new job, yeah? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. Is it wonderful? Is it everything you hoped it would be and more? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I haven't worked with kids yet, so. Well, we'll see that. Just been other teachers that yeah. I've been around. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's pretty nice. We set up our classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, my lead teacher chose an under the water theme. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And so like I teach ones, I'm in a ones class, but I'm in like the middle ones. So the way the school does it is kids come in and it's based off of their age, but like where their birthdays are. So, cause you're in a class for 12 months entirely, but oh, wow. I keep the kids as close in age as they can. So like developmentally wise, like they're on the same track or yeah. like, encourage each other. So there's another ones class, but that ones class, all the kids in that have just turned 12 yeah. months. So they just turned one. So they won't be two until like almost time for them to go into a twos class. Whereas like my class, most of them turn two in the spring and early summer. Okay. So it's kind of how they do it. So um, when they go to a twos, they'll most likely be in the same class together unless like, yeah. one of them or a couple of them like further advance. Yeah. The others, yeah. Um, but I got to meet them all on like Thursday. Aww. Yeah, they're very cute. We've got a set of twins. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. They don't look identical. So oh, it's that's not good. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. And it was just really long getting up at like 6.30 every day. Yeah. 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 And then getting there at like 7.40 when I didn't need to be there till 8. And you're not supposed to clock in more than like seven minutes before you start time. Well, and it's so hard too, especially when you're going somewhere that's more than, you know, 20 minutes from your house. Yeah. Because it's hard to... You never know what traffic. Exactly. Exactly. It could take me, you know, it could take you 30 minutes to get there, but it could take you an hour and 15 minutes to get there also. Yeah. So uh, all week I had to be there at 8. Thursday I was supposed to be there at 8.30, but I did not know that. I was told 8. So I showed up at like 7.50. I like walked into the building. I was like, oh, I'll just go to the bathroom because no one's here right now. And like get comfortable. And then like 8 o'clock rolled around and like it was still like dead. There was like three people in the whole building. I was like, I think I'm here too early. And I had already locked in. Ooh, you're going to get in trouble. (laughs) But uh, I did not know. Um, But then for like the remainder of like my time there, I'll work 8.30 to 5.30. That's awesome. Yeah, so my plan is to leave at like seven thirty every day, just yeah. in case traffic is terrible. Because I'm hoping, because it's just Daniel's Island, right? So I'm really hoping it should not take more than a fucking hour to get there. It should not, no. Even with school traffic, yeah, it really shouldn't. Yeah. So I'm still gonna plan on getting up at six thirty, but that gives me a whole hour to get ready, eat, right, and all that fun stuff. So yeah, do all the things. You and have I can't to do bring in the morning. any food or drink into my classroom except for water. So I have oh, to eat. Shit. Yeah. So I have to eat in my car, like, on my way there. So, like, I'm not starving by, you know, 10. (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, so kids can't ask for food and because of allergies. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes total sense. It just sucks. Yeah, well, they teach uh, what's called conscious discipline. Uh, And so, basically, you don't use bad or wrong. You Mm -hmm. use unsafe or safe or hurtful and helpful and stuff. So I think that's also part of why, like, they don't want to tell students no. Because it's not, like teaching anything you're you're, right it doesn't it's not in line with their philosophy yeah basically but we one day when we were getting like a little meeting on conscious discipline we had like a word scramble and you had to take the letters from conscious discipline and make new words I was like 
fuck yes, all yes. my escape rooming is gonna pay off. And like all these like teachers around me are sticking to like three or like four letter words, and I'm over like insidious. Just yes. put insidious. <laughs> Like, you can do this. You can do it. <laughs> you can do more than four-letter words. The letters are there. Yeah. <laughs> People kept trying to use, like, A, and I'm like, there's there's not an A in, in either of these. Stop doing that. Or T's. Those were, like, the two no. biggest thing I heard were, like, A's and T's. I'm like, that's not on there. Are you sure you should be teaching children? <laughs> yeah, so. Well, but, that sounds uh, fun. Yeah, so super tired. I didn't have to work Friday, but I did get paid for it. That's, that's like cool. the first time that's ever happened to me. Uh-huh. So I was like laying in bed. I was like, I'm getting paid to lay in bed right now. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. Real jobs are nice every now and then. It is. I, unfortunately, everyone got paid Thursday. And uh, you don't. And I, I did not know. So I probably won't get paid till the, almost the end of August. But I'm, I'm excited for that paycheck. So that's going to be a monster it, of a check. It'll be great. <laughs> so. You'll be like, holy shit. What yeah. is this? Because after the last few months of not having yeah, well, consistent scheduling. Yeah. That, well, that's going to be nice, too. And I, I can pretty much anticipate what my paychecks will look like. Yes. For, it'll make budgeting so nice. Yeah. The only thing is, like, the week I go to Jacksonville because I don't get – Paid vacation, yeah. Until after, like, 90 days, so obviously that won't count. So, right. But I'm only missing, like, um, I think it's 20, like, a full days of work, basically. Oh, cool. So, not terrible. Yeah, because when you, like, fill out the vacation, you're going to be like, how many work hours are you missing? Yes. So, like, I do know I'm only missing 24. So, I'm like, that's just one, you're right. you know. <laughs> if I were looking at it like a normal, like, babysitting, I'm like, that's just a single day. Like, that's fine. We can. <laughs> right. We can work around that. Don't yeah. worry. Exactly, yeah. So, um. But, uh, yeah, it's been – I'm tired. I believe it. <laughs> I, yeah, came home and, like, passed out, like, every night. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's a so. struggle. How was your week? Annoying. Annoying. I'm sorry. Um, for those of you who don't know, i.e. everybody else besides Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. I could take a picture. <laughs> um, I am recording in a mask because I have been exposed to COVID. Yeah. I am fully vaccinated. I also took a COVID test, which was negative, and I'm not experiencing any symptoms. However, we are trying to be as safe as possible. Without ruining the quality of our sound. Exactly. <laughs> the other option was to record remotely again. However, there is a dude in my house today who is doing work. So... That would not work. It would not. He's cleaning out. Like, basically, we had a home inspection mm -hmm. from the property, like, management company we rent from. Yeah. And they're like, what's wrong with the house? And they're like, well, the gutters need to be cleaned, and there's weather stripping that needs to be replaced, and two of the fans in the house don't work, and, like, the lights in this room, like, flicker on and off. So we have, like, a pretty decent list of things and so he's like yeah. i don't really know how long i'm gonna be here he's like i could be here for two hours i could be here the whole day mm -hmm. i don't really know what to tell you guys i love it when they can't give you time yeah and it's just like a dude yeah like <laughs> just one guy it's just a guy that's kind of like like i i appreciate the people that our property management company works with generally and this guy seems really cool but like also because yes it's a property management company but an individual owns our house so the management company is like hey we found x y and z what do you want us to do mm -hmm. and the individual who owns the house 
is like, oh, I'm going to send out my contractor, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of times it's his cousin. Oh, okay. Uh, But he's a really cool guy. (laughs) Like, he's really nice. It's totally chill. Um, He came by whenever we had Phil. Mm -hmm. And Ian was straight up like, listen, bro, this dog is not going to be here forever. He's just here for a couple weeks till we find him a home. And the guy was like, yeah, we really don't care. Yeah. Like, as long as, like, he is being treated the same way your other dogs have. Like, your other dogs haven't torn up the house. So, as long as he doesn't either, we kind of don't give a fuck. That's nice. So, yeah, it was super nice. So, yeah. So, that's my week. Well, on that note, do you want to take a break? Yes, let's take a quick break. Okay, so today's topic is hijacking. It is. It is indeed. Uh, I'm, I feel like we picked some pretty good cases. I'm excited about mine mostly because I didn't know anything about it except what? for the name. Yeah, I had heard the name, but I had no idea about anything about it. And I was like, whatever. You have seen Without a Paddle, right? No. I knew you hadn't. I knew. Because when I saw you pick that, I was like, oh, all I can think of was without a paddle. And I was like, I guarantee I would bet all of my money right now that Tiffany has no idea what I'm talking about nope. when I bring that up. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here's what I do know. Um, there was this guy that I had the biggest crush on when I was in high school in mm-hmm. the cult. And he loved that movie. It's a good movie. I do know that. That's what I know about it. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, well, I'm talking about the TWA Flight 85 hijacking. And I'm talking about D.B. Cooper. The quote this week is, There is only so much negotiating and maneuvering that can be done while the aircraft is under siege in midair. And that's by Isaac Yiffet. Is that what I said? Okay. Well, I'm drinking because Tiffany's not. Tiffany has a mask on. (laughs) We did. We're being... We're trying to be as safe as we can. <laughs> We're being safe. We're limiting contact. I'm keeping my mask on, but... She's not quite I'm, a full six feet away from me, but, you know, there is a table between us. There's a table and a mask, but, like, damn, that drink looks fresh as fuck, boy. Yeah, we'll see how good it is. So, it's a coconut blackberry smash. So, it's got gin, cream of coconut, lime juice, rose water, and blackberries. Delicious. She's drinking. Um, never had rose water. Okay. Uh, kind of, kind of tastes like artisan soap. Oh no! <laughs> it's like the rose water in combination with the lime juice. I can't taste the blackberries. I cannot taste any any of the coconut stuff, and I cannot taste the gin. So I mean, that's good. That is not cash money. <laughs> so you lucked out. I, to be fair, I wasn't, like, too excited for this one, even though I had gin in it, just because of the rose water. I was like, I feel like that's going to be... Unfortunate. Artisan soap. Turns out you were right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I don't know what this is about. It just starts off with, all right, buckle up for this one. So that's what we're okay. doing for this fun fact. So, yeah, put those seatbelts on. And prepared. Also, super didn't look up how to pronounce things. So, Francisus Silvius Silvius is a Dutch physician who created Jennifer as medicine during the 16th century. What the fuck is Jennifer? Is this gin? What am I talking about right now? I don't even know. Hold on. I'm so lost. Give me a second. What's my fun fact about? 
It's gin. It's gin. That's what it is. All right. All right. We're talking about gin. Okay. Which makes sense because it's in the drink. They're supposed to be based off the drinks. Okay. So, yeah. So, Jennifer is the Dutch, like, gin, basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I believe – I spelled it with a G, but I think he spelled it with a J. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this physician created gin, basically, as a medicine during the 16th century. It was believed to improve circulation and other ailments – during the Dutch Independence War, it was given to soldiers and often referred to as Dutch Courage. Oh. Yeah. However, gin sported a much darker nickname. That's why it's all right, Puckle, for this one. I remember now. Which is... <laughs> it's all coming together. It is, yeah. Which is Mother's Ruin. That's oh. the other nickname. And that's because gin was inexpensive, thus making it the spirit of choice in brothels and also the spirit of choice to induce abortions. Oh, boy. So gin, one of my favorites, is used for abortions. (laughs) Way to go, gin. (laughs) And that's my fun fact about gin. Nice. Yeah, that's right. It takes me a hot minute to remember if it's not fucking spelled out. (laughs) I was like... I don't know if you, like, fucked up spelling somebody's name, because Jennifer definitely sounds like Jennifer. Ooh, I wonder if that's, like, an origin of the name Jennifer. Maybe it's like, ooh, I tried to have an abortion, but I didn't, so I'm just going to name you after... Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, she was, like, the first one. Yep, and that was how the first Jennifer came around. But, yeah, that is my fun fact. <clears throat> cool, cool, cool. And you get to go first this week. I do... It's all about me this it's week. All, you have nothing. Spotlight on Lindsay. <laughs> oh, uh, I would definitely not rate this as is. I was going to say, yeah. Not. <laughs> One is the best. Ten is the worst. Yes. Don't worry. I know I know my rating I'm glad system. you know. <laughs> Fuck. It's not a ten. I think I just it needs to be, like, tweaked a little. Yeah. I think, like, that's It needs all, to be judged. Yeah. I think that's all it's missing is I think this could be – because you're right. It's really refreshing. I don't know if it's too much – Lime juice. It's not, like, curdling, but it is, like, separating. Yeah. As you can see. But you can't mix it for too long, so I don't know, like... Yeah. I just think that it, was, like, it could be, like, fixed a little bit. Fair enough. So, I mean... I'd give it a six. Okay. Six. Okay. Before it's makeover. <laughs> All right. Pre-makeover picks. Yes. All right. So let's jump into my hijacking case. At the high point of the 1960s hijackings, a plane was held up on average once every six days in the United States. Yeah. Holy shit. So it's really common occurrence for planes to be hijacked in the 60s, apparently. Glad it's not the 60s anymore. Fucking murderers and uh, plane hijackers. Really? Yeah. So Raphael uh, Minichello was responsible for the longest and most spectacular hijacking 52 years ago, which might be a little bit wrong depending on that article was written, but I did get that back. Many decades ago. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Raphael stepped onto a plane dressed in camouflage with a $15 ticket. $15 ticket. I know. I know. That (laughs) pissed me off about mine too because they were like, X dollars, and I was like, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this trip was just going from L.A. to San Francisco. Okay. Just a little, little baby trip. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was, like, part of, like, a huge, like, trip across, like, the states, and, like, this was, like, their final stop was L.A. to San Fran. So, um, a crew of three located in the cockpit were assisted by four female flight attendants, most who had only been working for a few months. The most experienced flight attendant was 23-year-old Charlene Delamonico, who had been working for three years. 
Charlene had swapped shifts to fly on this flight in order to have her Halloween evening off. Which, yeah, girl. Like, I appreciate. I mean, I fucking support that. What day is Halloween on this year? I don't know. It's a, a Sunday. Fucking... That's unfortunate. It is. <laughs> Anyways, I'm glad you know. <laughs> it impacts my business. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yes, I know. So, prior to takeoff in Kansas City, Captain Donald Cook informed the flight attendants of a change in their usual practice of entering the cockpit. So, the change had the women ringing a bell outside of the door instead of knocking for this last okay. stop. I don't know. Once the flight landed in L.A., it was so late um, that lights were dimmed, allowing those who stayed on board to, like, stay asleep. Yeah. They were, like, you know, just trying to, like... I was going to say, I, not, like... Not, like, fucking blind people. That's my favorite thing about flying and, like, like on late, late flights is, mm-hmm. like, when the lights are dim and it's just, like, it's just so relaxing. Yeah. So, one of the new passengers caught Charlene's attention. It was the young man dressed in camo whose backpack had a container sticking out of it. Charlene asked her colleagues, Tanya Novikov and Roberta Johnson, what they thought was sticking out of the passenger's bag. Because, like I said, hijackings occurred, like, one in every six fucking days or something. Right. So, both of the other flight attendants were like, oh, it's just a fishing rod. Okay. Which, like, okay. So, Charlene was fine with that answer, and she started to focus on the other passengers boarding the flight. However, at 1.30 a.m. on Friday, October 31st, 1969, TWA flight, yeah, I knew, um, 85 was hijacked 15 minutes into the flight. That's not a long time. It's really not. You're just kind of getting in the air. I know. So, after takeoff, Charlene began tidying, like, the little back area of the plane and the other flight attendant tracy coleman um came over to help at that point the same passenger in camouflage stepped into that same area and stood alongside the woman with a m1 rifle in his hand and when charlene calmly was like hey you're not supposed to have rifles on the plane (laughs) just all chill like you know i'm sorry sir you can't have that we're gonna need you to throw it out at our next trash stop. He responded by handing her a bullet to prove the rifle was loaded. Cool, 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 cool. At that point, he then ordered um, her to lead him to the cockpit to show the crew inside. Great. So, Charlene had remembered the new instructions of entering the cockpit, but Raphael believed he was being tricked, and so he insisted that um, she knock and not ring the bell. She had hoped that because she didn't Ring the bell. They wouldn't fucking answer, but no, they answered. They answered anyway. Those dumb bitches. I don't know why they changed it. Um, So then, uh, Charlene stepped out of the way, and Raphael kind of stepped forward and pointed the rifle at the men, telling them to turn towards New York, because we are not going to San Fran. We are going to New York. Sir, I'm sorry, but I feel like that plane probably doesn't have enough fuel to get there, but okay. Yeah. So, Captain Cook's voice comes on overhead saying, we have a very nervous young man up here, and we are going to take him wherever he wants to go. All right. I mean, what else do you say? There's a man with a rifle. (laughs) You know. And now we're going to New York. Good fucking luck. You take that gamble in the 60s when you board a plane, I guess. I guess so. Damn. (laughs) But also, if it's 1.30 in the morning, like, what else, like, what else do you say? I don't, yeah. So, of course, uh, the plane began moving further and further away from San Francisco. 
Um, and rumors of the new destination began swirling about. Of course they do. Yeah. Passengers whispered of places like Italy and Denver and Cuba, taking it more of like an adventure and less like a hijacking. But again, if you hijacked every couple days, I guess, yeah, it's an adventure at that point. I guess. <laughs> so, they were not concerned all too much. I would be like, I'm sorry, I need to go throw up now. <laughs> yeah. So the crew explained there was a problem with taking Raphael to New York, which you pointed out. They only had enough fuel to get uh-huh. to San Francisco. So that meant they would have to stop at another airport to fuel up again. As one does. Eventually, Captain Cook exited the cockpit to inform the passengers, officially, if you've made any plans in San Francisco, don't plan on keeping them because we're going to New York. Okay. So, yeah. It's not like they could just text their friends and be like, don't wait for me at the gate because I've been hijacked. Whoops. So during the flight, Raphael eventually agreed to let the captain land in Denver to refuel enough to reach the East Coast. When they got to Denver, I believe, Raphael decided to let off the other passengers, um, but insisted that one of the flight attendants stay on board. But I think mm-hmm. they really, like, limited the crew and let all the passengers yeah, off. Cause, yeah, because, like, what if he wants a gin and tonic? He chose Charlene. Damn it, Charlene. I know. Tracy Coleman opted to go in place of Charlene instead because Tracy's argument was that she had a boyfriend who lived in New York, so, like, she'll just go meet up with him. And Charlene's like, what the fuck are you talking about, Tracy? You're not staying in New York. Also, fucking Tracy, you might get killed. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Yeah, there's the article I've linked to this blog post. It's super fucking long, but it goes into detail, and... They, like, explain some of their exchanges, and that's how it was, just really casual. Like, oh, I'm just going to go, I'll go meet up with my boyfriend. Listen, if I was on a plane that got hijacked while Ian was still living in New York. Yeah. <laughs> you take that gamble. Do you, though? <laughs> no. No. No, you don't. Because you know what? If I did that and I was like, yeah, so our plane got hijacked, but I chose to stay on it because I wanted to come see you. He'd be like, bitch, you are fucking crazy. <laughs> right, yeah. We are done. Like, you are in fucking sane. Yeah. Well, the three-hour flight from Denver passed peacefully, so they, they sorted things out. Raphael stretched out in first class, you know. As one does. Cocktail and ham. Uh-huh. <laughs> and good by his side. I'm sure. The only five people remaining on board were Captain Cook, First Officer uh, Wenzel Williams, Flight Engineer Lloyd Holler, and Flight Attendant Tracy Coleman, and then Raphael himself. So yes. Tracy did stay. Okay, Tracy. Whatever. I mean, Charlene's like, I wanted the night off anyway. Right. You know what? She gets this night off and she gets Halloween off. So (laughs) I guess good job by her. So upon the planned landing in New York, FBI agents began swarming the plane, Mm -hmm. which set Raphael off a little bit. You don't say. Mm -hmm. So that ended with a bullet lodged in the roof of the plane. Great. Not because he meant to, but. He panicked and accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. So, quickly, the plane was back in the air with Rome as the next destination. With a hole in it? Not like, it's just lodged. Okay. This is 69. I don't don't know the protocol for bullet lodges. I also don't know, like, the quality of planes was my thing. I don't know. Um, Well, yeah, anyways, they're up in the air again. They're going to Rome. Okay. Does her boyfriend live there, though? 
No. no. Well, um, also, they ran into another problem when they got to New York, which was you certain pilots are only allowed to fly internationally. Yeah. Not all pilots. Right. So they also had to switch out some pilots. No. (laughs) So Captain Cook stayed on board, but since he was not allowed to fly internationally, another pilot came and took over for him. But he stayed and chatted with Raphael. Because what do you do? You can't fucking leave. They swapped stories. Okay, cool, cool, cool. They became bros. They bonded. Sometimes a bullet being lodged in the roof of a plane really does that to people. What else do you do? So after a few a few more fuel stops, because New York to Rome wasn't happening, I believe they had to stop in like Ireland. Yeah. The the plane began to circle Rome's airport. Finally, mm-hmm. as Raphael had one last final demand after eighteen and a half hours had passed since hijacking the plane, he wanted the plane to be parked far from the terminal, and be met by an unarmed police official. Eventually, Raphael took shelter in a church before being arrested. So he did get everything he wanted, and I believe he um, then, like, carjacked the person picking him up. <laughs> so, a lot of a lot of jacking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I didn't really go too much in that, because there's, like, there's more to this, followed by the hijacking of the plan, and I really wanted to touch on it. But, yeah, so he does eventually get away, and, like I said, he takes... I mean, he's staying in that church, and he's going to change his clothes, and he's got this whole plan. Right. He's like, I'm going to be a whole other man here in Rome. They don't know who I am yet. I'm going to just get on this plane. So one of the reasons for the hijacking was that Raphael had served time in the Vietnam War, with most of his platoon later being diagnosed with PTSD. Which I think we actually touched on the Vietnam War when we did our, like, history of serial killers. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So that makes sense. Also, Raphael wasn't properly diagnosed until 2008 and remains, to this day, ineligible for treatment, having received a less than honorable discharge. Um, but that's something his platoon is still campaigning to have reversed. Like, his platoon refuses to give up on him even Aww. after all of this because, like, he needs help and right. he should get the help for that serving his country. Yeah. Right. So, um... Another reason was that Raphael had collected $800 in a Marine's savings fund while he was serving time. And um, when he returned to base camp in um, California, he noticed there was only 600 in his account. Aww. And when Raphael took this matter to his superiors, they didn't listen, and he decided to take matters into his own hands. Oh, good. And this is why he was I'm sure that always discharged, ends. not well. greatly. So, after an evening of drinking, like any good story starts, Raphael decided to steal $200 worth of goods from the store on the base. However, he ended up falling asleep, because he had been drinking, and got caught the following morning inside the store. That's not great. Yes. The day before he hijacked the flight, he had been due to appear before a court um, and feared going to prison, and decided to go AWOL and travel to LA. If you're going to go to prison, you know... I mean, go big or go home, I guess. Well, Raphael became a folk hero in Italy as a young Italian boy who would do anything to return to the motherland. Okay, that's, okay. (laughs) It's an interesting take. Tiffany's face, and I can only see her eyes. (laughs) But that was a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. Yeah. 
So he did face um, trial in Italy, but he did not face, like, uh, what is it, when they take you back to the U.S.? The, there's a word for it, can't think of it, doesn't matter. Extradition? Yes, thank you. If he had done that, he could have faced the death penalty in the U.S. And Whoops. He's probably a little thankful, but he didn't. Um, so he was prosecuted in Italy for only the crimes committed in Ita- Italian airspace. Okay. And sentenced to seven and a half years in prison, which was quickly reduced on an appeal, and he was released May 1st, 1971. But there's more. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after his years in prison, Raphael settled down in Rome, where he worked as a bartender. He ended up marrying the bar owner's daughter and having a son with her. Aw. At one point, he even owned a pizza restaurant named Hijacking, which, like... No, he did not. He did. Oh, oh God. (laughs) Okay. I would go there. (laughs) I mean, same. I would so go there. Um... So, Raphael's wife was admitted to a hospital as she went into labor with the couple's second child in February 1985. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, both she and the unborn son died due to medical malpractice, Ooh. which triggered Raphael in another kind of way. Great. So, he knew that there was a prominent medical conference outside of Rome, um, and he wanted to bring attention to the negligence that had cost him his wife and son. And so he is going to target them. Great. Yeah. However, he befriended a young colleague who would read passages from the Bible to Raphael, and that eventually prevented him from carrying out his attack against the medical conference. It's good. Instead, Raphael decided to devote his life to God. Okay. I mean. I will take it. You know. <laughs> better than killing people. Yeah. So finally. Raphael decided to go back to the U.S. where he asked his platoon, who had been working to clear his name, if they would help him locate the people who were on board of the flight he hijacked. Yeah, he wanted to apologize. Okay. So, members of Raphael's platoon sent out invitations to people asking if they'd be willing to meet with the man who had held them at gunpoint. Charlene and um, Wenzel Williams, who I believe was an officer, Mm -hmm. were the only two who agreed to meet Raphael. Okay. Yeah. After their meeting, Raphael handed them both a copy of the New Testament with a note written inside that said, Thank you for your time so much. I appreciate your forgiveness for my actions that put you in harm's way. Please accept this book that changed my life. God bless you so much. Raphael Minichello. All right. He wanted to make amends. He turned it around. Yeah, so Charlene, like I was saying, that huge article which I have and will be linked and you can go read it. It goes more into, like, him asking people to come meet him and stuff. And Charlene talks about how she was going to say no, but Mm -hmm. she was also a religious person and she kind of thought, like, who is she to take away an opportunity for someone to, like, redeem themselves, basically? Who who has given her that right? Um, And then Raphael, I believe, also did explain at the time that he was surprised that the captain who – swap stories with him mm-hmm. didn't show up but i guess he was not a very forgiving man fair <laughs> so, <laughs> you yeah. can't really get upset about it no no not at all but i'm glad two people came good for him nice. good for them i'm also. not gonna shame the other people but <laughs> right listen guys no shame for not showing up to your hijackers yeah. so no one died absolution party that's good. Yeah, everyone everyone lived. Well, I mean, the wife and son didn't live, well, but that was not a result of the hijacking. That's not, that's not the hijacking's fault. 
No. <laughs> cool. I've never heard of that one, so. Unfortunately for mine, <laughs> probs a lot of people have heard of it. The case of D.B. Cooper is one of the most infamous cases of hijacking in American history. And to this date, it remains the only hijacking case in America that is unsolved. Every other hijacking, even all those hijackings that were happening one every six days, (laughs) they were all solved. This is the only one that is an unsolved case. All right. And full honesty, the only reason I picked this one is because of Loki. Because, like, spoiler alert, in the first episode of the Disney Channel Loki show, they talk about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I was D.B. Cooper. And, like, that's how he was never, like, that's how this case is never solved. Because I was fucking with you guys. Good luck. Anyways. On November 24th, 1971, a plain-looking man in his mid-30s to mid-40s walked into the Portland, Oregon airport and purchased a one-way ticket to Seattle, Washington. This ticket was, like, part of why I was, like, all pissy. Because, like, it was, like, hold on, let me see. I have it right here. It was $20. $20 for his ticket. Now, this man went by the name Dan Cooper. He was dressed in a business suit and a black tie carrying a cheap attache case. Uh Uh-huh. Which is just a fancy way of saying briefcase, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) He was just another boring-looking white guy, and so he blended in with all the other passengers. And the flight attendant, Florence Schaffner, thought nothing out of the ordinary when he slipped her a note after takeoff. Now, at this time, in like, you know, Mad Men era of things. It was super common for businessmen traveling alone to pass along information about their hotels to the flight attendants that they thought were cute so that they could be like, oh, meet me at my hotel later, which honestly just sounds super annoying Mm -hmm. for, like, the attendants to just have random dudes just be giving you info about where they're staying Mm -hmm. while they're in whatever city you land in in the hopes that you'll bang them. Like, it's just not a great way to deal no, with your sir, work day. I don't want to have sex with you. Actually, it's going to be a no from me. You are not in like first class. And cigar smoke. Yeah. You're just a boring looking <laughs> white guy. Denied. Florence was like, okay, bro, I'm going to deal with this later and just put the note in her pocket. Like, didn't even read it. Just like, was like, whatevs. I'm going to keep doing my job, which is what I'm fucking here to do. Like, again, it's just so annoying and rude. Just here's my hotel room number is what she's anticipating. And he's like, fuck this. Anyways, um, at the flight progressed as normal, but Dan Cooper was getting visually antsy. Like you could see he was just like shifting around, seemed uncomfortable. And when Florence passed again, he flagged her down and explained she needed to read his note right then and then sit down with him. The seat next to him was empty. So he went ahead and slid over so she could slide into the aisle seat that he'd been in previously. Once she read the note, which he said, which said he had a bomb on the plane and that she needed to follow his instructions closely, she was kind of like, oh, fuck, because what do you do? Cooper pulled the attache case near Florence before popping it open so she could see what was inside of it. 
Inside were a tangle of wires and red-colored cylindrical objects that she thought could be dynamite sticks. He instructed Florence to write down exactly what he told her and then take the note to the pilot. In this new note that he dictated to Florence, he explained he wanted the plane to continue its directed path. But when they arrived in Seattle, he wanted to exchange the other 36 passengers on the flight for $200,000 in unmarked $20 bills with non-sequential serial numbers. His other demand was for four civilian parachutes and for the plane to get back in the air with a course chartered for Mexico City. He also informed them that he wanted to have the note returned to him and that there should be, quote, no funny business, or he would blow up the plane when they arrived at the Seattle-Tacoma airport. That's not cool. Yeah. Florence took this note that she had written up to the pilot and then returned her, her instructions from Dan Cooper. The pilot contacted air traffic control, who in turn contacted the FBI. And the FBI then contacted the president of the airline, who immediately agreed to comply with Cooper's demands. Just running up that flagpole. They were like, fucking sure, give him all the money. Yeah. The money actually proved to be the easiest part of the demands to get. Oh. Yeah. Cooper was adamant that military parachutes would not work for him, and he specifically wanted civilian parachutes only. So this meant that the FBI had to start knocking on doors of flight and skydiving schools nearby to try and find someone who had four parachutes and would also agree to sell them all four parachutes, which obviously they did find someone and made it worth their while to part with all four parachutes. But I just kind of thought that that was like wild, that the issue is not $200,000, but <laughs> some fucking parachutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, which in today's money... Getting that together would be like trying to get a little over $1.3 million together. Mm. Yeah, apparently the airline just wanted to avoid like as much negative publicity as possible. And we're like, here's all the money. Nobody can say we didn't do our part to try and resolve this issue. How nice. Yeah. The FBI also thought about uh, potentially just getting dummy parachutes to give to Cooper. But since he wanted four... They're like, all right, obviously one's going to be for him. One's going to be for the money because it's going to be too heavy for him to jump on his person. They're like, what does he want the other two for? Is he going to make people jump with him? And if so, we can't just give him parachutes with holes and fuck those people over. So while all this is going on, all these back and forth, this mad dash to get some parachutes. None of the other passengers were aware that the plane had been hijacked. Captain said nothing. Now Cooper demanded that they stay in the air until everything was ready for his demands to be met, which made the flight last longer than it otherwise would have, which mm-hmm. the pilot just blamed on, you know, mechanical issues. Oh. They had to do a couple more circles before they could actually land. Okay. Would really make me feel uneasy, but Okay. <laughs> Now, once the parachutes were secured and the money was in place, the plane finally landed. The other flight attendant on the plane, Tina Mucklow, lowered the stairs to where a Northwest Company car was waiting with the parachutes and money. Tina brought all the items on board, and once Cooper was satisfied his demands had been met, he allowed the 36 passengers, as well as Florence, the flight attendant, to disembark. 
He planned to keep Tina and the pilot and co-pilot on board for the next level leg of the trip. After the passengers in Florence disembarked, an FAA agent radioed the plane asking if he could come on board to talk to Coopers about the dangers of air piracy. And Cooper was like, I'm good. <laughs> I thought about this. You know? <laughs> no worries, bro. It'll be fine. You can you could stay not on the plane. Thank you for the offer, though. Cooper then instructed Tina to get very familiar with the operating instructions for the rear stairs. She explained she didn't think they could be open while the plane was mid-flight, and he told her she was wrong. Hmm. One of the reasons that Dan Cooper had picked this particular flight to hijack was because of the type of jet that was used to make it. As long as it remained below 10,000 feet in altitude and below a speed of 150 knots per hour, the rear door could be open mid-flight safely. If the plane went above 10,000 feet, then, like, the cabin would have to be pressurized in order for people to, you know, be able to live and breathe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's like, as long as you stay at this speed and this height, we're good, and I can fucking jump out this plane. Okay. He had done his research. Apparently. Yeah. Really shouldn't put all the information out there. No. No, you shouldn't. So when Cooper gave Pilot the instructions for the flight, the pilot was like, hey, bro, we can't make it to Mexico City with this much fuel. I don't know why hijackers don't seem to think about that. I don't know, but apparently it's an issue. (laughs) So Cooper agreed that they'd stop in Reno, Nevada to refuel, but before they left Seattle, he wanted them to fill the tank. Side note, also just to prove how much Cooper knew about this plane before choosing it to hijack, he knew the fuel tank could hold 52,000 gallons of fuel mm. and that it could take in 4,000 gallons per minute, which meant it would take a maximum of 13 minutes to refuel the plane. So when they're like in the process of refueling, he was like keeping a timer. And when they went past 13 minutes, he was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Like I told you, like, don't fuck around with me. I know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. So, Yeah. Anyways, interesting fun facts. Once everything was sorted, the plane took off. It was 7.43 p.m. when the plane departed with an F-106 fighter jet following behind to tail them and make sure that they stayed on the course that they said they were going to. Right. Unfortunately, the jets couldn't fly safely at the low speeds Mm. that Cooper wanted them to maintain. So they had to peel away from the plane with the plan that the National Guard would send a different type of plane to follow them instead. After takeoff, Cooper also demanded that the remaining three crew members stay locked in the cockpit until they landed for refueling in Reno. At 8 p.m., an alert went off in the cockpit indicating that the door was open. Over the intercom, the pilot asked if Cooper needed anything, to which he responded with a simple, angry no. At 8.24 p.m., there was a disturbance in the balance of the plane that the pilot noticed because, like, like the nose dipped a little and he had to correct it. So he took note of the time and the exact location to inform police later, since the new plane that was meant to be tailing them hadn't arrived yet. Mm. 
By the time the new tailing plane arrived, Cooper was already gone. The hijacked plane landed in Reno at 10.15 p.m., and Cooper was nowhere to be found. Police searched the area that the plane dipped over the next several weeks, but couldn't find any leads to Cooper and whether or not he'd even survived the jump in the dark. They strongly believe that he didn't survive due to the level of difficulty, but they never found a body, so they're like, well, I mean, could go either way. It's horror movie 101. If there's no body, they end up dead. Exactly. Now, they also decided to search the name Dan Cooper to see if, you know, maybe he used his real name. Yeah. He did not. No. No results there. He's not an amateur. He did not. He's definitely not. Now, the only thing he left behind was his black clip-on tie and a decorative tie pin. But they didn't really have DNA back then. (laughs) So they just kind of stored it for evidence and dealt with it later. Later. Over the course of the next few months, the FBI got tons of calls with supposed leads, which all proved to be fruitless. The most notable tip was for a man named D.B. Cooper. This man was cleared of all involvement, but not before the press got a hold of those first two initials and went crazy with the publishing. It was because of that this criminal is now widely known as D.B. Cooper, even though that wasn't actually his name. Like, his name was Dan Cooper. Like, his alias that he chose was Dan Cooper, but everybody now knows it as D.B. Cooper, because that's what was widely published. Another thing that made the press go wild was a series of letters that were sent to media outlets, supposedly by Dan Cooper, using serial killer-style cutout letters. The first four were all short, usually one to two sentences, and they were published heavily. Letters five and six were much longer and were withheld from publishing by the FBI. These letters were not publicly available until Thomas Colbert sued under the Freedom Information Act in order to use them in his documentary. Those letters were both several paragraphs long, taunting investigators. One private investigative team believes to have decoded the letters, saying they reveal the identity of Dan Cooper actually being a man named Robert Rackstraw, who was a former CIA agent. Mm. Robert Rackstraw was investigated, but he was cleared. This independent team clears claims that it was all a cover-up. That they were like, oh, well, he used to work for the CIA, and that's why they're saying it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want, like, the negative publicity of having a government employee having done this. That makes sense. But, <laughs> I don't know. The reality is, these letters have never even fully been authenticated to have come from Dan Cooper. So, any information information actually the zodiac right (laughs) right like any information you think you get from them like really has to be taken with a grain of salt now in 1980 a young boy was camping with his family on the columbia river north of vancouver washington and one of his chores was to dig the fire pit okay you know as kids do it was while he was doing that that he uncovered a rubber banded stack of 20 dollar bills all told, it was $5,800 cash that he found. Yeah, it was, a, it was a stack. The family turned it in, and when the serial numbers... Yep. I know. That look on Lindsay's face. What? Yep. I'm at least taking some off the top. Right? It's like, it wasn't actually $5,800 cash. It was actually like $10,000 cash. Oh, no. This is all that we found, I swear. 
So the serial numbers were ran, and they matched money that was given to Dan Cooper. Yeah. And a scientist actually studied the algae that was on the money. Okay. And discovered that the variety of algae on it is only around during the spring. It's the only time of the year it can grow. And not in November, which is when Dan Cooper jumped. Meaning that it landed on land and somehow stayed dry until spring when it got wet and then was buried. This finding has shaken up a lot of theories about whether or not Cooper survived the jump and what happened afterwards. Now they're like, maybe he survived. He had the money. Somehow... At this time of year, around the spring, it got wet. And he was like, I got to fucking stash this somewhere. So he just buried it. And then never came back. For whatever reason. If I buried $5,800, I'd be coming back for that shit. But anyways. The FBI did eventually close the case, just kind of for a minute. But over the past few years, with the advancements we've made in DNA, they have become begun looking at the information again. Specifically in regards to the tie and tie clip that he left behind. They've been able to establish a DNA profile that can be used to rule out suspects as Dan Cooper. But unfortunately, due to the age of this case, there is a very good chance that if the person who perpetuated the crime was in his mid-40s, she could be dead. But there's also the chance that he's just out there living his best life. Maybe we won't know. Maybe we will. Kind of. Time will tell. Maybe familial DNA will play a role in solving this. Like the Golden State Killer. Exactly. Maybe it won't. Maybe D.B. Cooper is working on his roast. Exactly. (laughs) He's perfecting that roast. He is working on the glaze, damn it. (laughs) Either way, whatever happens, that is the information that we have. Of do the you think, Dan, a.k.a. D.B. Cooper do you think Dan hijacking case. Cooper jumped and made it? I think he did. Yeah. I think he jumped. I think he made it because, like... Do you think he just didn't come back for the money because it was too risky? Yeah. The first couple of days after he jumped, they couldn't really search the area super well because mm. of rain. Okay. And there was, like, a lot of really bad weather. So they're like, oh, maybe there was a body, but it got washed away. And I was like, no. What if he survived and that's how you weren't able to find anything because they didn't find parachutes they didn't find anything like the odds of everything being washed away and, perfectly and where there's no trace found, right exactly yeah that's a lot right like it's just so much that nobody would have now, ever he found did anything jump into like a wooded area though. yes so but again if he died like okay it's a wooded area where do you think he's gonna get stuck in a fucking tree yeah you're not gonna wash away Down a stream if you're stuck in a tree dead. Yes, that is all very true. So, yeah. I wish not to be stuck dead in a tree. I think also, like, we don't know anything about who he is as a person. So, like, he could have been super experienced at making these types of jumps. He just, he made that jump and went off and bought a farm. Right. Married. Right. He could be having, like... That's the thing, like, those letters, like, some of them were from um, San Francisco, like, most of them were from the West Coast, but then, like, the, like, most recent one, letter number six, I believe, was from Florida, and he was basically like, sup, homies, you didn't catch me, I'm retired. Fuck yeah, I'd go to Florida. Like, good fucking luck. Go to Miami. Thanks for the dollars, bros. What do you think? Do you think he died? Do you think he lived? I think he lived. I mean... 
you don't lose all that money. All, like, a body. Right. Parachutes. You can't lose There's everything. just so much evidence. And I think that's why he left the tie and tie clip behind, because, like, those are very tiny things. Yeah. That, like, you could easily lose. Like, you could lose a tie clip and not realize it. Right. Until hours and hours later. Mm-hmm. You could lose a tie while you're fucking jumping off a plane. And it not be found. And, like, you not realize it or, like, where it's at. Like, you can't find it. Like, you don't want to waste time looking for these tiny little... No. Like, minute details. Yeah. So. If you're trying to clear the scene and make it as if you never jumped out of that plane. So, yeah. I think he lived. It'd be cool if he lived. It would be. (laughs) Maybe one day we'll get a deathbed confession. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. It's written down in someone's journal somewhere. Uh Uh-huh. Um, weekly verdicts? Yeah. Do you have one? Yeah, I do. You want to go first? Sure. Okay. This week I officially signed my contract. Woo! For my escape room space. So I got all, I got a lot of handout paperwork that was like, here's this, here's this, here's our rules that you can do, here's our rules that you can't, here's where to park, here's where to get rid of your trash. What is your least favorite rule of things you can't do? I'm not supposed to park close to the building. <laughs> you got a shit ton of stuff to carry into that building, too. I'm fucking parking close to that building while I'm setting up. I don't care. They don't know what my car is. Well, so while you're bringing stuff in, you just, and then just move it. Right. Like, it'll be fine. Yeah. Well, How about you? Fun. Uh, mine's just my new job. It's fair. Yeah, that's pretty much all I've stability in life did this week yeah so I also made a really good um roast no (laughs) not I'm not a huge roast fan neither am I yeah like like Thanksgiving I'm not like I don't like turkey Mm -hmm. really I I don't either yeah I'm like you know what you know what I fucks with though every now and then when it's cold outside especially like in the fall when it starts to get chilly of course I love (laughs) a good beef stew with (gasps) rice With rice. I've never had beef stew with oh, rice. Yeah. I've only had chili with rice. Fucking all the carbs, dude. Oh, all I've never had rice in beef stew. Just beef stew. No, we do beef stew. And, and like, then... oh, homemade, like, rolls. Oh. <laughs> so good. I don't, here's the thing. I don't even eat the beef in beef stew. You don't? Why not? Because I don't like it. Oh. It's a weird texture thing, but I, like, I put carrots. What and kind pit- of beef does your family use? I don't know. Whatever's on sale. Oh, okay. <laughs> like... If it's too chewy, I don't like it because it hurts my jaw because my jaw pops because it's displaced. And then when it does that, the next day it'll be locked. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no. We, um, I mean, it's always, like, stew meat or whatever. But usually, like, stew meat is not, like, the most quality cuts of meat. Yeah. No, if I were to make beef stew, I feel like I would get, like, a a cheaper steak and then cube it up myself is what I would do. Yeah, no, I'm too lazy for that. So, yeah. I do. Stew I mean, meat. Obviously, that's... Also, like, I know I'm not going to eat it. And so I just want it for the flavoring. That's the only thing I will eat. Like, if carrots are in something like a stew or a soup, that's the only time I'll eat it. No, I was going to say I made a really good salmon dish. Um, So it was just... I Also, I seared salmon Ooh. for the first time ever. I did it correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I made a, like... It was like a tomato heavy cream kind of sauce it was mm-hmm. all like it didn't come from a jar i made it yeah and then i put the salmon back in it, it was mm-hmm. so good i put some spinach yeah loved it alex was not a fan 
because it was tomatoes. Oh and my god, I'm so shocked. Also, he doesn't like Parmesan cheese. He, he hates he hates the way it smells. He's like, it's disgusting. He's a fucking broken ass human. I know. <laughs> Anytime I go to put Parmesan cheese on my like spaghetti or anything, he's like, oh, it just smells so bad. I was like, I can eat this out of the tub. Honestly. <laughs> the amount of Parmesan cheese I go through. When I make risotto, I'm like, uh, some for the risotto, some, some for, for me. me. Yep. I do that, <laughs> Same but. with the wine. I was going to say, I do that with the wine. I'm like, well, a little bit of chef juice for the food and yes. a glass for me. Absolutely. Yeah. So those were two really, really nice things. Nice. I'm trying to make, like, new food. So when I come yeah. home, I'm not just like, not excited to be home and I'm just tired. Yeah. So I'm trying to like, let's make new yummy recipes. Let's make things. Let's cook food. Also less processed food I'm trying to do. If yeah. I, I'm trying to get less things that have a like, like label on them. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. So. That's good. So on to our first responders unit. As yes. always, you can find us on Instagram at Luminol Cocktail Pod. You can find <laughs> us on Facebook, Luminol Cocktail Podcast. You can also find us on our website, which is luminolcocktail.com. And we officially get to do our first Patreon shout out. We do. Which I'm so excited about. Thanks to Alex, who is our first official Patreon. He signed up. He gets his shot glass now that I already gave him. Well, he wants to know where his new one is now that he's. No. (laughs) I. Listen, I told Ian, because Ian's like, I just keep forgetting. Like, I, we talk about it when we're not home. He's like, I just haven't signed up for it yet. And I was like, I'm going to repossess that shot glass. Like, and you won't get to use it. It's true. Like, I will do it. I am that level of petty. Yeah, well, um, yeah, so. But yeah, so, yay, Alex. Alex is very excited for all the extra content. He should be. It's fucking great. Mm-hmm. And if you guys want access to that extra content, and if you want your own Luminol cocktail shot glass, you can find links to our Patreon on our social medias, especially on our link tree as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that has all the information, which is, I think, probably the easiest way to get to it, at least for me personally, is on Instagram. Yeah. It's on the website, but yeah, it would be so much easier. I was going to say, if you just go on Instagram, it's in our bio. You don't have to look for it. And it's just like link tree. And you just click that link and then it'll take you everywhere you want to go. Yeah. So check it out. Check out our Patreon. Thanks, Alex. And that about does it for us. So we hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll be back next week to serve you guys another round of Luminol Cocktails.